Hello there, I'm Martin Jarvis. One hundred years ago, a writer called Richmond Crompton started the phenomenon that is just William when she created the character of 11-year-old William Brown in her first ever short story. Since then, across the 39-book series that Crompton wrote over nearly 40 years, William captured the nation's imagination. And when I started recording the Just William books in earnest in the 1990s, happily, everyone's love for the intrepid schoolboy was rejuvenated. To celebrate Crompton's genius, this is a very special Christmas reading for Mail Plus and readers of the Daily Mail. The Christmas Truce by Richmond Crompton Read by me, Martin Jarvis it was Hubert's mother's idea that the outlaws versus Hubert Lainite's feud should be abolished. Christmas, you know, she said vaguely to William's mother, the season of peace and goodwill. If they don't bury the hatchet at this season, they never will. It's so absurd for them to go on like this. Think how much happier they'd be if they were friends. Mrs. Brown thought, murmured, uh, Yes, uncertainly, and added, I've tried, you know, but boys are so funny. Yes, said Mrs. Lane earnestly. Mrs. Lane was large and breathless and earnest and overdressed. But they're very sweet, aren't they? Hubie's awfully sweet. I simply can't think how anyone could quarrel with Hubie. We'll make a real effort this Christmas to put an end to this foolish quarrel, won't we? I feel that if only your Willie got to know my Hubie properly, he'd simply love him. He would, really. Everyone who really knows Hubie loves him. Mrs. Brown said, um, yes, still more uncertainly. And Mrs. Lane continued, I've thought out how to do it. If you'll invite Hubie to Willie's party, we'll insist on his coming, and we'll invite Willie to Hubie's. And you insist on his coming, and then it will be all right. They'll have got to know each other, and I'm sure learned to love each other. Mrs. Brown said, uh, yes, more uncertainly than ever. She felt that Mrs. Lane was being unduly optimistic, but still it would be nice to see the end of the feud that was always leading William into such wild and desperate adventures. Then we'll begin by begin and end, my dear Mrs. Brown, said Mrs. Lane earnestly, by making them attend each other's Christmas parties. I'm absolutely convinced that they'll love each other after that. I know anyway that Willie will love Hubie, because when you really get to know Hubie, he's the most lovable boy you can possibly imagine. Mrs. Brown said, uh, yes, again, because she couldn't think of anything else to say, and so the matter was settled. When it was broached to William, he was speechless with horror. Him! he exploded fiercely, when at last the power of speech returned to him. Ask him to my Christmas party? I'd sooner not have a Christmas party at all than ask him to it. Huh. Him? Huh. Why, I wouldn't go to the King's Christmas party if he was going to be there. Not if I had to be beheaded for it. Him? Well, then, I jolly won't have a party at all. But Mrs. Brown was unexpectedly firm. 
The overtures, she said, had come from Hubert's mother, and they could not with decency be rejected. It was the season of peace and goodwill. No one's ever peaceful or goodwilling to me, put in William bitterly. And we must all bury the hatchet and start afresh. I don't want to bury no hatchet, said William tempestuously, except in his head. Him? Wanted to come to my party? Cheek! But William's tempestuous fury was, as usual, of no avail against his mother's gentle firmness. It's no use, William, she said. I've promised. He's to come to your party, and you're to go to his. And Mrs Lane is quite sure that you'll be real friends after it. Me? Friends with him? exploded William. I'll never be friends with him. But William said his mother, stemming his flood of frenzied oratory. I'm sure he's a very nice little boy when you get to know him. William replied to this by a partially dumb and very realistic show of physical nausea. But faced by the alternative of Hubert Lane and his friends as guests at his party or no party at all, William bowed to the inevitable. All right, he said. I'll have him then, and you're all right. I won't do anything to him or to any of them. I'll wait till it's all over. I'll wait till he's been to my party and I've been to his. And then, well, you'll be jolly sorry you ever made us do it, because we'll have such a lot to make up. Mrs Brown, however, was content with her immediate victory. She sent an invitation to Hubert Lane and to Bertie Franks, Hubert's friend and lieutenant, and Hubert's other friends, and they all accepted in their best copperplate handwriting. William and his outlaws went about sunk deep in gloom. If it wasn't for the trifle and the crackers, said William darkly, I wouldn't have had it at all, not with him. And it'll have to be jolly fine trifle, practically all cream, to make it worthwhile. His mood grew darker and darker as the day approached. He even discussed with his outlaws the possibility of making a raid on the larder before the party and carrying off trifles and jellies and fruit salad into the woods, leaving the Hubert Lanites to arrive and find the cupboard bare and their hosts flown. It was a tempting plan, but after dallying with it fondly for a few days, they reluctantly gave it up as being not really worth its inevitable consequences. Instead, they steeled themselves to go through the affair in the dogged spirit of martyrdom, their sufferings allayed only by the thought of the trifle and crackers, and the riot of hostilities that could take place as soon as the enforced Christmas truce was over. For the prospect of the end of the feud brought no glow of joy to the outlaws' hearts. Without the Hubert Lane feud, life would be dull indeed. As the day of the party drew nearer, Curiosity lightened the gloom of their spirits. How would the Hubert Lanites behave? Would they come reluctantly, surlily, at the bidding of authority? Or would they come in a Christmas spirit of peace and goodwill, genuinely anxious to bury the hatchet? The latter possibility was too horrible to contemplate. Rather, let them come in the spirit in which the outlaws were prepared to receive them. A spirit in which one receives a deadly foe in time of truce, all their thoughts and energies centred on the happy moment when hostilities might be resumed. 
William, of course, could not watch the preparations for his party and maintain unbroken his pose of aloof displeasure. The trifle was, he was convinced, the finest trifle that had yet been seen in the neighbourhood. There were jellies of every shape and hue. There was a cream blancmange decorated with cherries and angelica. And there was an enormous iced Christmas cake. And there were crackers. In the eyes of William and his friends, it was the crackers that lent the final touch of festivity to the tea. The outlaws and their supporters, as arranged, arrived first, and stood around William like a bodyguard awaiting the arrival of the Hubert Lanites. They wore perfectly blank expressions, prepared to meet the Hubert Lanites in whatever guise they presented themselves. And the guise in which they ultimately presented themselves was worse than the outlaws' worst fears. They were not surly foes, forced reluctantly to simulate neutrality, nor were they heralds of peace and goodwill. They advanced upon their host with an oily friendliness that was nauseating. They winked at each other openly. They said, Thanks so much for asking us, William. It was ripping of you. Oh, I say, what topping decorations! And they nudged each other and sniggered. William clenched his fist in his coat pocket and did swift mental calculations. His party would be over in four hours. In four days' time, Hubert's party would come, and that would last about four hours. And then, then, then they could jolly well look out for themselves. The right hand that was clenched tightly in his coat for safety's sake was itching to plant itself firmly in Hubert's smug and smiling face. Mrs. Brown, of course, was deceived by their show of friendliness. There, William, she whispered triumphantly. I knew it would be all right. They're so nice, really, and so grateful to you for asking them. I'm sure you'll be the greatest friends after this. His mother said that he was a nice little boy. William did not reply to this, because there wasn't anything that he could trust himself to say. He was still restraining himself with great difficulty from hurling himself upon his foes. They went in to tea. Oh, I say, how ripping, how topping, said the Hubert Lanites gushingly to Mrs. Brown, nudging each other and sniggering whenever her eye was turned away from them. Once Hubert looked at William and made his most challenging grimace, turning immediately to Mrs. Brown to say, with an ingratiating smile, It's a simply topping party, Mrs. Brown, and it's awfully nice of you to ask us. Mrs. Brown beamed at him and said, It's so nice to have you, Hubert. And the other Hubert Lanites sniggered, and William kept his hands in his pockets with such violence that one of them went right through the lining. But the crowning catastrophe happened, when they pulled the crackers. Hubert went up to William and said, See what I've got out of a cracker, William, and held up a ring that sent a squirt of water into William's face. The Hubert Lanites went into paroxysms of silent laughter. Hubert was all smirking contrition. I say, I'm so sorry, William. I'd no idea that it would do that. I'm frightfully sorry, Mrs. Brown. I'd no idea that it would do that. I just got it out of one of the crackers. I say, I'm so sorry, William. 
It was evident to everyone but Mrs. Brown that the ring had not come out of a cracker, but had been carefully brought by Hubert in order to play this trick on William. William was wiping water out of his eyes and ears. It's quite all right, dear, said Mrs. Brown. It was quite an accident. We all saw they shouldn't have such nasty things in crackers. But it wasn't your fault. Tell him that you don't mind a bit, William. But William hastily left the room. Now, let's go and have a few games, shall we? said Mrs. Brown. Ginger followed William upstairs and found him on the hearthrug in his bedroom, kneeling over a bolster that he was violently pummeling. Ginger knew that, to William, the bolster was not the bolster, but Hubert Lane's plump, well-nourished body. William raised a shining purple face from his task, and then the glow faded from it as he realised that the prostrate form before him was merely the bolster, and that Hubert Lane was triumphantly sniggering among his friends downstairs, not yet overtaken by nemesis. "'Why don't you go down and show him?' said Ginger, simply. William, returning reluctantly to reality, raised the limp form of the bolster and threw it onto the bed. "'Can't,' he said tersely. "'Can't do anything. Not while he's in our house. I, "'William, darling!' called his mother. "'Come down. We're going to begin the games.' William and Ginger went downstairs, and the rest of the party passed off uneventfully. The Hubert Lanites said goodbye at the end with nauseous gratitude, and went sniggering down the drive. "'There, William,' said Mrs. Brown as she shut the door. "'I knew it would be all right. "'They were so grateful, and they enjoyed it so much, "'and you're quite friends now, aren't you?' "'But William was already upstairs in his bedroom, "'pummeling his bolster with such energy "'that he burst his collar open. "'During the days that intervened "'between William's party and Hubert Lane's party,' The Hubert Lanites kept carefully out of the way of the outlaws. Yet the outlaws felt uneasily that something was brewing. Not content with scoring over them at William's party, Hubert meant to score over them in some way at his own. The Hubert Lanites looked upon the truce not as something that tied their hands for the time being, but as something that delivered their enemies into their power. William was uneasily aware that Hubert Lane would not feel the compunction that he had felt in the matter of his guests. "'We've got to do something to them at their party, same as they did to us at ours,' said Ginger firmly. "'Yes, but what can we do?' said William. "'We can't start fighting them. We've promised not to. And, and there's nothing else we can do. Just wait. Just wait till their party's over.' But they'll never forget that water squirt, said Ginger mournfully. Unless we do something back, said Douglas. What can we do in their house with them watching us all the time, said Henry. We must just think, said William. There's four days, and we'll think hard. But the day of Hubert's party arrived, and they'd thought of nothing. William looked downcast and spiritless. Even pummeling his bolster had lost its charm for him. And that's the end of part one.